Hello and welcome to another edition of the Byron York Show, the No Chit Chat Podcast. We like to get right into it. And what we're going to get right into today is the latest on January 6th. Now, I know you were aware of all the January 6th first anniversary events that uh, happened, but something that happened since then is the indictment of uh, a number of members of this militia called the Oath Keepers. And the reason it got a lot of news was the indictment was not just for some of the standard January 6th crimes like trespassing or obstruction of an official proceeding, uh, but it was for seditious conspiracy. So this was hailed as the first step in the official recognition that the uh, January 6th Capitol riot was an insurrection, it was sedition, etc. So anyway, the charge is seditious conspiracy, and it's against a man named Stuart Rhodes, who is the head of the Oath Keepers, a Yale Law School-educated lawyer who's head of the Oath Keepers, plus 10 other members of the Oath Keepers. And uh, the indictment goes through a lot of their preparations for January 6th, and what they were intending, what they were thinking, and what they were saying to each other. So, first of all, first of all, the first thing to say is, uh, what they did was serious. I mean, they were upset about Joe Biden's victory in the presidential election. They thought it was rigged. They were constantly chatting about it with each other on various encrypted platforms. They use Signal a lot, and and they talked that about it leading to violence. That uh, that. Uh, the Joe Biden's rigged victory and Donald Trump's refusal to accept the result would lead to violence on December 11th, 2020. So it's a little more than a month after the election. Stuart Rhodes says that if Biden becomes president, quote, it will be a bloody and desperate fight. We are going to have a fight that cannot be avoided. So you have to look at these people seriously. They were talking about serious things. So they make a plan to go to Washington, and the plan is to disrupt the congressional certification of Biden's Electoral College victory. We all know that was scheduled for January 6th. It always is um, on the January 6th after a presidential election. Now, the idea was to intimidate the members of Congress uh, into supporting Trump, and uh, Rhodes encouraged this strategy but at the same time, if you read the indictment, he doesn't really think it's going to work. So here's, here's what he says. It's December 25th, Christmas Day, December uh, on uh, 2020. He sends a, a message to some of his uh, colleagues. I think Congress will screw Trump over. The only chance we slash he has is if we scare the shit out of them and convince them it will be torches and pitchforks time if they don't do the right thing but I don't think they will listen. Okay, that's kind of important, but I don't think they will listen. So he really didn't think it was going to succeed. And so they make plans to go to Washington, and they're going to take a small number of guns to Washington. Now, their thinking, I think, is it's a little difficult for an outsider like me uh, to completely understand. On the one hand, they are a militia. They're training for some sort of fight. They, they have weapons. Uh, they kind of play, act uh, as warriors, and they're planning for some sort of fight in the future. So they have guns. They, they own guns. Uh, on the other hand, 
This is one of the more interesting things in the whole affair. They know that possessing firearms is illegal in the District of Columbia. Now, they had a hotel room in Washington, D.C., in the district, and they had one or two uh, outside in, uh, in Virginia. So they're, they're constantly talking to each other in the days prior to January 6th. Are you going to carry? Are you going to take your weapon? And they'll say, well, it's illegal in the district. You can't do it. So they decide not to have any guns at their uh, hotel in the district. And importantly, not to take any guns on their person, no sidearms, anything like that, on their person to the Capitol riot, which wasn't a riot at that point. It was the Capitol event, whatever it was. But they did bring guns, and they left them in a hotel room in Virginia. So they made a specific decision not to bring firearms into the city because it's against the law. So they rented some rooms in suburban Virginia, and they brought an unspecified number of weapons to keep there. Don't know how many it was, but there are uh, the, the regular sort of hotel security cameras uh, have video of them bringing long cases in. So they were clearly gun cases. So they brought some number of guns to a hotel room in Virginia. Careful to observe the District of Columbia's gun laws. So the idea would be that the guns would be part of what they call the QRF. That is the Quick Reaction Force. Quick Reaction Force. And they would be ready. They liked acronyms. They would be ready in case SHTF. Now, SHTF was used a lot in their communications, and it stands for Shit Hits the Fan. So, if SHTF occurs at the Capitol, they would have the guns at the hotel room in Virginia where they could bring the guns then to the militia members in the district. They could cross a bridge and bring them into the district, or they even thought about renting a boat and having the boat take the guns across the Potomac River into the district. Anyway, the idea was that the QRF would be ready and armed in case SHTF. Now, the interesting thing, of course, is the shit did indeed hit the fan in the Capitol. I mean, it turned out to be a large and violent and ugly fight. Now, mostly the, the Oath Keepers weren't involved with it, but a lot of other people were. You can see that. There were people engaged in fistfights and just sort of hand-to-hand fighting with police at the Capitol riot. Some of them used improvised weapons like flagpoles or shields. And there's actually one Capitol rioter who was charged with using a desk drawer uh, as a weapon. So they were kind of reaching for anything at hand to use as weapons. So there was a, there was a fight, SHTF, in the Capitol. But they did not retrieve, to go into the Oath Keepers, they did not retrieve their weapons. There's not, there's not a, a message, a desperate message from Stuart Rhodes or anybody else saying, okay, bring him over, bring him over. Quick reaction force, get over here. They didn't do that. The gun stayed the whole time, packed away in a hotel room in Virginia. Instead, so what they do instead, instead they, they marched around. They, they, they put on this kind of sort of military, paramilitary type gear, um, and they walked around. And they sent messages, encrypted messages to each other, kind of congratulating themselves for getting into the Capitol. Now, the, um, the Oath Keepers have become famous 
for using uh, what was called a stack formation to walk up the capital steps. That is, they were in line with each other, one after the other, and each would have his hand on the shoulder of the person in front of him. So they'd kind of stay together and move up the capital steps and into the capital. But the, the indictment is fuzzy if you read it. There's a lot of passive voices in the, in the indictment. If, if you read it, it's fuzzy on whether they actually broke into the capital. It appears actually they did not. They did follow others who broke into the Capitol. The indictment says it this way, quote, At 2.39 p.m., a member of Stack 1, now they, were, they divided into two stacks, a member of Stack 1 joined the crowd, enforceably pushing against one of the rotunda doors and the law enforcement officers guarding the door. The mob then breached the doors and Stack 1 member, the Stack 1 member, one single person, entered the building. So that's not like, they, th- this is not like the indictment of the, uh, that Proud Boys guy who actually used a shield to sp- crash through, uh, through a Capitol window. Uh, the Oath Keepers didn't do that. Now, early into the, uh, in the riot, early on, Stuart Rhodes came to the conclusion that both Vice President Mike Pence and President Donald Trump had abandoned them. Now, the Pence thing is no surprise. President Trump had been attacking Mike Pence for not having the, quote, courage to overturn the election results. But the Oath Keepers thought that Trump had wimped out on them, too. About 1.30 p.m., uh, Rhodes is messaging his leadership group, and he says, this is a quote, Pence is doing nothing. As I predicted, all I see Trump doing is complaining. I see no intent by him to do anything. So the patriots are taking it into their own hands. They've had enough. So clearly he felt that they were on, the the Oath Keepers were on some sort of mission that was almost separate from Donald Trump and separate, certainly separate from Mike Pence, which he did not view uh, as war. There's another part in the indictment in which he talks about the American revolutionaries and the Tea Party. Uh, the Boston Tea Party, which was you, you go and you throw the tea in the water. Uh, there are fist fights, but it's not a set battle with guns as in the war starting. And he said that's, that's not happening yet. Lexington, meaning Lexington and Concord, the first battle of the Revolutionary War. Our Lexington is somewhere in the future. It'll get here, but it's not here yet. So he didn't really view the Capitol riot as an act of war, which may explain why they left the guns on the other side of the river. So anyway, he's, he's, he's disappointed and criticizing not only Mike Pence, but Donald Trump in this communications web that they have inside the Oath Keepers. Now, some of these parts of the indictment verge on being almost funny. Um, the group at the hotel room in D.C., which was not too far from the Capitol, They were watching the events unfold and did not decide to go to the Capitol until about 2.30 in the afternoon. So here's the indictment. Between 2.30 p.m. and 2.33 p.m., it's a pretty precise time zone there, James, Minuta, and Lurik, and others, those are three names of uh, the defendants, James, Minuta, Lurik, and others rode in golf carts toward the Capitol, at times swerving around law enforcement vehicles with Minuta live-streaming their conduct over Facebook. And indeed, on Facebook, Roberto Minuta, who was one of the defendants, said, here's a quote, 
Patriots are storming the Capitol building. There's violence against Patriots by the D.C. police, so we're en route in a Grand Theft Auto golf cart to the Capitol building right now. It's going down, guys. It's literally going down right now. Patriots storming the Capitol building, effing war in the streets right now. Word is, they got in the building. Let's go. So maybe you can call this the golf cart rebellion. So the uh, Oath Keepers go inside the Capitol, and they walk around for a little bit, and then they leave. Now, after it was all over, it's the night of January 6th. They all go to a restaurant in Vienna, Virginia, where they fantasize about keeping this revolution going. They, quote, discuss the need to continue fighting to stop the lawful transfer of presidential power. And that's according to the indictment. One of them had the idea to go back to the Capitol at six in the morning on January 7th and keep up the fight. Now, maybe they hadn't turned on a television and seen that the Capitol was very heavily protected by that time. Any event, they decided that they would do recon. They were going to do recon in the morning, go to the Capitol and uh, check it out and see if they could continue the fight. Obviously, they didn't. So uh, the indictment is silent about what happened after that. Obviously, the Oath Keepers did not storm the Capitol on January 7th. Instead, the, the indictment skips ahead to January 11th where one of the members discussed a long-term plan. They were going to go underground. I mean, literally underground. Quote, we've been organizing a bug-out plan if the usurper, the usurper would be Joe Biden, is installed. Something like 20-plus Oath Keepers going to Kentucky mountains on hundreds of acres, apparently, be like the NVA and network tunnels. Now, NVA is apparently a reference to the North Vietnamese Army which was fighting against the United States in Vietnam in the 1960s. Now, of course, these plans came to nothing. It kind of indicates a degree of sort of military fantasizing that goes on uh, amongst these people. So you look at this whole thing, and, and you, you ask, well, what, do, what can you make of this whole indictment? Now, uh, some people with legal expertise have looked at this, including Andrew McCarthy, of National Review, I would recommend that you read his account, uh, and said that a charge of um, seditious conspiracy is just inappropriate in this case, not going to work. But in a bigger picture, just beyond just the legal analysis, I mean, what do you make of it? Um, and I'm, I'm usually not quite this blunt, but first of all, the first thing to take from it is the Oath Keepers really were a gang of idiots. I mean, what were they thinking? In what fantasy world did they, unarmed and rolling around in golf carts, plan to install the next president of the United States? Reading this indictment, it's hard to avoid the conclusion that it was all a bit of LARPing. That is, live-action role-playing. LARP, L-A-R-P, live-action role-playing. The indictment is filled with page after page after page of fantasy talk. Now, on the other hand, the group actually did discuss interfering with the transfer of power. They talked about civil war. They did bring guns to the Washington area, although they were careful to observe local gun laws and did not bring them into the District of Columbia. They were part of the mob that entered the Capitol, although it does not appear that any of them engaged in any violence. Only one of the 11 is charged with any act of violence, and I believe that was in pushing 
uh, a policeman. So they, they didn't bring weapons, they didn't use weapons, and with the, the exception of this one person uh, pushing the police officer, uh, it appears they didn't engage in any sort of violence. So this was like a nonviolent militia. But they, they did serious things. They brought guns, they were trying to interfere with the, uh, with the transfer of power, and they were part of this mob that, that uh, went into the Capitol. And so now they've all been charged with seditious conspiracy. I will leave it to the experts, uh, legal experts, about whether that's an appropriate charge or not. But the indictment does raise questions about whether it is correct to refer to the Capitol riot as an insurrection or as sedition. Now, as far as sedition is concerned, obviously the investigation has given rise to an indictment of seditious conspiracy. So there it is, sedition. But can the actions of these 11 LARPers accurately describe the motives and the actions of the hundreds of people at the Capitol and the thousands more who were in the area who had no con connection at all with the Oath Keepers? They weren't doing this planning. They didn't have QRF. They didn't talk about SHTF. These were people who went to the Trump rally, walked to the Capitol, Many of them didn't even do that. They went back to their hotel rooms because it was cold. But if they walked to the Capitol, some of them just watched what was going on and left. And some got carried away and entered the building. And some engaged in acts of violence, meaning hand-to-hand -hand fighting with police officers. So how to view this whole thing? Does, does this indictment of the 11 LARPers of the Oath Keepers, uh, does it tell us that this was this, this riot, this enormous event, was an insurrection. A recent poll showed that many Americans view the Capitol riot seriously. It was, they don't make light of it. It was a serious event. But they view it as a protest that got out of hand. And this is actually consistent with something that uh, the FBI director said hmm, all the way back in maybe March of last year, Christopher Wray. He said there's several groups of rioters. I mean, there's the largest group that got kind of rowdy, didn't have any intentions of, uh, of committing violence, and had no greater plan. And then there's uh, another group that actually committed real acts of violence with whatever weapon they had at hand, not with any firearms, didn't use any firearms. I think there were five who were charged actually with possessing a firearm at the rally out of those several hundred people. Uh, and then there was a small group of people who were planning something. Well, this, these, these Oath Keepers are the small group of people who are planning something, but it doesn't appear that their plan went beyond the 11 Oath Keepers and their QRF and the SHTF plan. So this recent poll shows that people view the Capitol riot seriously, but they view it as a protest that got out of hand. And I think this new indictment will probably confirm that feeling. It will not change their minds about it. And that, I think, is the lesson of this new indictment. It tells you about what this small group of people, the 11 Oath Keepers, did, but it also tells you something about the hundreds of others who had nothing to do with that, that it wasn't part of a plan, that the plan itself was kind of small and stupid, uh, and the other people were acting spontaneously, uh, some of them criminally, and they're now charged with it, but it was not part of this big plan. It was not a, an insurrection, certainly not an armed insurrection. And it was rather, I instead, it was a protest that got out of hand. 
And uh, in future podcasts, I think I'll talk further about some sort of grand unified theory uh, behind January 6th, what it really was. But for now, we're going to stop. I think it's worth looking at the uh, indictment of the Oath Keepers. Uh, You can go to my newsletter uh, on uh, Washington Examiner, which links to the indictment. Uh, I would recommend anybody who has time to read it. You always learn more if you look at the primary source and read that. So anyway, thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate it. And join us again soon for another edition of The Byron York Show. China is gaining a major foothold in Latin America while the U.S. ignores it. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, I'll speak with Jessica Bedoya of the Inter-America Development Bank about the best way to re-engage Latin America and bring prosperity and security with us. My friend Gary Bregman also joins me to discuss the latest news on the Fast and Furious scandal. Don't miss it. Follow the Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.